0: I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, well, we're kicking off race season. And so we're going to go back in time. This is a special bonus re-release. Yes, over the coming weeks, we are going to jazz up your life because we will be doing a couple of episodes per week. And the reason for that is for the triathletes of the listening crew. It's really kicking off into race season. And because the episodes that we're going to release were so, so popular last year, we thought, you know what? We bring them back as we ramp up into race season because we hope that they'll be really helpful. And this week, where well, we get going by, pardon the pun, diving into the swim leg. I'm joined by Purple Patch coach, John Stevens. He is an exceptional coach, but also with a great expertise around open water swimming, both in terms of his swim run escapades and, of course, his coaching and his Division One swimming experience. Now, together, we put our heads together and we went through to help folks establish a positive mindset around swimming. Identify some of the common sources of anxiety and fear, but then create the solutions and strategies so that we can dissipate that fear and anxiety. It's a really, really good listen, especially if you're an adult onset swimmer. The goal of the episode is to try and help you build confidence, become empowered when you actually target the triathlon swim rather than something to survive in. We want you to thrive. And so whether you're a multi-sport veteran or a complete newbie, this is all about helping you deliver a toolkit so that you can alleviate some of the common open water anxiety that occurs, but also help you go and make your trained potential convert into race day performance. Now, as you listen to this, we had a lot of folks last time say, please, 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 how do I work with John? And the good news is you can. There's a couple of ways to do it. Of course, you can sign up for Purple Patch Coaching, but you can also go through a short term coaching process with John Stevens in our swim analysis program. Now, swimming coaching is remote. You can do it from anywhere We analyze through video, John will break apart your stroke and give you the key elements that you need to go and work on. He's also going to give you some specific sessions to help you implement your technical changes. And the good news, you're not just sent out to Ether. A few weeks later, we come back, we reanalyze, we see how you're doing, and then you are, every time, a much improved swimmer. If you're interested in working with John with swim stroke analysis, it's very very simple. Just head to purplepatchfitness.com, head over to the services, and it's right there under that tab. Of course, for the rest of you guys, it is race season. If you want to race with us, there's still plenty of time. You can reach out to us at info@purplepatchfitness.com, at or of course, go and have a little scan over the offerings at purplepatchfitness.com itself. Now we are ready to go. We have cut out all of the supporting stuff. We are going right into the meat and potatoes. And yes, it's the meat and potatoes. And this week it is all things swimming. We return to racing. We get primed. But the swim, for many folks, is a source of anxiety, something to just survive, and we want to change that relationship. And for today's show, we brought in a specialist, a specialist very close to home because he's a Purple Patch coach and a key part of our team, and is Mr. John Stevens. John, welcome to the show. Matt,
1: thank you for having me. Uh... Long time listener, obviously. So great to finally be on here and get to talk about swimming.
0: Well, you don't get to escape. You're you're not just a long time listener. You have to listen to me ramble with all of our team meetings and everything else. But um, for for folks at home that haven't worked directly with you, that don't you know you, you are Mr. Swimming at Purple Patch. You've you obviously got a, a long history as a Purple Patch coach, but you've got extensive experience not just from your pool swimming days, but also, I would say if if I can be allowed to say this, but your real expertise is open water swimming, both in terms of race directing and, of course, racing, as it were. So do you see yourself now as much of a uh, an open water swimmer as you are a pool swimmer?
1: Oh, more so. You know, that, that transition definitely happened. As soon as I was done swimming in college, uh, you know, open water swimming took over for me. and And I had always swum open water, but making that transition uh, into triathlon and then into the world of swim run, I would say I am fully open water these days. And the pool is simply a tool to prepare me for that.
0: Good stuff. Well, we're going to talk about using the pool as a tool a little bit later, but our, our quest today is to establish the mindset and hopefully help listeners with the overall approach to triathlon and open water swimming to maybe diffuse a little bit of anxiety, but also help them navigate with real success. Before we dive into the anxiety side, which I know a lot of listeners are, are very, very keen to hear, I think it's important for us to, to visit our lens, a, a purple patch, and, and obviously mine and, and certainly yours, on swimming in triathlon globally. And I want to start here for a few reasons, and I'm going to outline them. The first is that It's a fact that the swimming segment of most triathlons is the smallest percentage of the overall race time. I think that secondly, adult onset swimmers for them, so those that unlike you and I that swam through college, et cetera, gains are typically really tough to make and often incremental, especially relative to the overall time of the race. You train your butt off and you only get a minute's worth of sort of gain or something like that. And and then finally, a lot of coaches I have seen really sort of encouraging their athletes to turn their back on swim training because of the reasons that we outlined above, but also, I I guess, some of the logistical challenges of going to the pool. And so they say, oh, don't worry about the swim, just get on with the bike and run. So with this in mind, first question, what are your thoughts on swimming so far as training for triathletes?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing that people need to remember is that this is triathlon and it involves, mm-hmm. you know, swim, bike, and run, and therefore it is a single sport. So it is not simply swimming or biking or running. It's all encompassing. And what you do on the swim is going to affect how you ride on the bike, which is going to then in fact affect how you handle the run. So the most important thing is to look at this through that lens of, it isn't just the swim, it's swim, bike, run.
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's great. In fact, when i think about uh, struggling athletes if we go to the other end of the race and the run they have a poor run performance and the natural instinct the human instinct is i need to work on my run but in fact it could be the after effects of the bike and even the swim before it um, so what about gains it, it is a tough sport it's a technical sport and gains can be tough to make so what do you see as the sort of the challenges for people making gains in the swim discipline?
1: I mean, well, those gains are certainly there and they're attainable. It's just you have to take those steps to get them. Uh, one of the biggest things that I think we see is that people, one, aren't swimming enough. And whether that's not, en- is not enough during the week, maybe it's not enough during each session, but they're not putting in the time. That needs to be devoted to developing the swim. Or perhaps if they are putting in the time, they're not being as efficient with their time as they should be. Um, You know, you you always hear about people that will just go in and swim for 30 minutes, particularly this past year where swim times have become Mm -hmm. uh, shortened. We've got pool reservations now and strict time limits that go along with that. So people feel like the most efficient use of their time, if they can only get a 30 minute swim reservation is to just go for some swim, swim for 30 minutes. And we know that that's not the case, or perhaps they're going in thinking, this is the opportunity for me to purely focus on technique and only worry about that technical development because it is a technical sport. Swimming is very technical and there's a lot of different aspects that go into swimming well, but at the end of the day, you still have to be fit for that technique to apply.
0: I, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head there. It's There's a natural tendency. I always, I always talk about drilling your way to glory. People just love to cruise up and down the pool really thinking that I need to get more slippery. I need to work on the technical aspects, which, yes, but in a limited time availability, if you don't have the muscular resilience to retain that technique, it's, it's really going down a dead end street. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're not fit enough to handle, I mean, people always talk about form falling apart and they think their form is falling apart because they don't have good form, when in fact they don't have the resiliency to withhold that form throughout an entire session. And, and I think we can kind of tag onto that, this idea that with swimming, those intervals are important to build that fitness and that resiliency. But at the same time, because of the type of sport that swimming is, with the idea of it being non weight bearing, uh, with the idea that, you know, you're in this pool you're able to hit hard intervals and you're able to do it more frequently. You're able to do it harder, maintain that higher load with lower risk, uh, and less impact on your body.
0: I think that's actually a leverage point, you know, the, and and I think that's a a thing that's really missed the, the joy of piling on a bunch of swimming to somebody of which they're actually able to absorb it with a much lower risk of injury. So obviously from a A cardiovascular conditioning standpoint, I think amongst the three disciplines, swimming sits alone with how frequently you can, for lack of a better phrase, hit an athlete hard. And there tends to be a better recovery rate from that, obviously because it's non-weight bearing. And so I would argue as well that an emphasis on swimming and swimming training is not just about getting the athlete to become a better swimmer. It's actually helping them become a better athlete, and it's a real training tool that cross-pollinates into, into the other disciplines, really.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fitness gains that you're gonna achieve in the pool or in open water, or just through swimming, certainly translate very well into bike, into run. Um, and, and and vice versa, it goes the other way as well. So I, I think you're able to hit those hard intervals and you do that really well in the pool, and you're gonna see those effects across the board.
0: And uh, I would add one more thing, which I think is it, it is perhaps a philosophical point, but I but I'm going to add it here anyway. And that's the the pursuit. If, if swimming is someone's weakness, there is something highly valuable in the bigger picture of really working on a weakness, and there are very few things in life where people take on a challenge which is uncomfortable which is exposing a weakness and convert that into a strength and just that act alone it can be incredibly rewarding from an emotional standpoint and uh, and, and really an opportunity and I think that the lessons that come out of that which is obviously quite humbling the lessons that come out of that extend to you as a as a high performer across life in many ways. So anyway, that's that's just my own <laughs> philosophical point. I, I will never forget, by the way, when Jesse Thomas, uh, many many listeners will know Jesse, a wonderful Purple Patch pro, went all the way through his decade of professional triathlon under the Purple Patch banner. And the first three years when he joined us, I had him go and swim with an age group program up in uh, Eugene in Oregon, where he was living at the time. So three years where here he was a stallion of a man, you know, 28, 29 years of age, big hairy chest looks mostly like uh, um, David Hasselhoff more than anyone else. And here he was getting absolutely punished and humiliated by 12, 13, 14 year old kids. But he's really proud of that part of his journey and his commitment there. And I think that he got a lot of lessons that he ultimately extended into other areas of his life as well. So anyway, anyway, I, I pontificate. Um, so, so you've sold us, you've sold us on the value of swim training and we've sat here on our high horse and said, great, you know, you, everybody should swim, but the truth is it, it ain't been easy. It certainly hasn't been easy for the last 12 months. And, uh, and so, I guess, as a follow on, as a, as a coach and a coach at Purple Patch, how have you and to some extent we navigated that challenge?
1: Well, excuse me, I think the most important thing to remember is you know, when this all happened, we all knew we were going to come out of it. Pools were going to reopen, we would be back there soon enough. So, what can we do in that time where we? Physically can't swim to prepare us to be there, so we mitigated those risks. We integrated uh, swim cords, the swim bands, uh, quite a bit, and you know to the point where I, I was leading some some Zoom classes for some Purple Patch athletes, and we were doing those, you know, twice a week. And I had some of my athletes doing swim bands three times a week. Uh, we integrated some really specific dry land work uh, to, to kind of support that. Um, And and basically, you know, we worked with what was available to the athlete as the months warmed up, or perhaps if someone was already in a warmer climate, we really took advantage of this opportunity to embrace open water swimming if that was something that was available to somebody, you know, a, a lot of triathletes think they can get the most bang for their buck out of hitting those laps in the pool when in essence, we race in the open water it's so important to get in that open water experience. So we really tried to embrace that and integrate that into what uh, we were doing. Um, you know, I think one of the things that at least I noticed was when pools did start to reopen, uh, we were stuck with these very kind of strict time limits and time allotments. And, and mm-hmm. while the plus side was people would make reservations and they were held to that and held accountable, um, we had to figure out what can we do? in 30 minutes or 45 minutes, maybe if someone was lucky enough an hour, um, how do we focus that training to get the most bang for our buck? Like, What are we going to do that's going to see the most room for improvement? And it was kind of finding a way to um, narrow things down and really, as as we say at Purple Patch, nail the basics for the swim.
0: It's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about it until you just mentioned that, but it's an optimization challenge and uh, and really sort of extends of our whole ethos of the the time staffed athlete in many ways it's suddenly you don't have the luxury of endless load because people are synthetically resti- restricted by these appointments so we have to have our optimization hat on the same as a time staffed athlete that would love to maybe train 20 hours a week and come home and have a nap and and uh and a massage, but but ultimately is integrating this into life. So I, I guess it was just the same mindset in many ways. Um the the one other thing I would add as well was I think that you're a you great example. I remember your with your athletes you said deal with it and uh the swim is swim bike run. And so yes, you know if if you have absolutely no access, no different than an injury. Okay, where can we find opportunities? whether it's strength, whether it's increased bike load, whether it's the run project that we put a lot of people on, uh, the high-frequency, short-duration, easy running to really build tissue resilience. And I think now as we are starting to come up and generally pool access is is improving, and then um, we have the opportunity to rebuild that area of the overall sport. And so I think it comes back to how you've started the show in many ways, some bike run. So super. Um, these swim challenges, before we go on to the fair, I want to ask one more question around it. And uh, and I don't know the answer to this, but did, did the swim challenges that you faced, that the athletes faced, did they provide any lessons for you as a, as a coach?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think there was a lot to take away from this. And one, you know, learn how to train better, focus better on the swim side of those things. You know, one of the things that I found is finally fellow fellow tour to athletes, fellow swimmers were really understanding the high value value of those those swim bands, those swim cords. I mean, they're they're not pleasant, but you know talking about a bang for buck type of thing, you get a lot out of a little bit of time on those swim cords to the point now where pools are open and people are able to go swim. And I'm still giving swim band workouts to a lot of my athletes. Um, That was actually something that I've been integrating in my swimming for years. Um, It's a great way to build that swim specific strength. It's a great way to focus on technique without that, you know, we talk about mm-hmm. the weightlessness and the pool and low impact, but it's really hard to focus on an aspect of technique when you're gasping for air and floating and bobbing all over the place and can't control your body. When you have those swim bands, you're really able to dial in what you're doing with your catch, with that full pull, you know, what is happening with your stroke and what are those things that you can do uh, to fix it and to change it. So I think the swim bands were probably one of the biggest lessons we were able to take away from that. Um, but it also, again, as I mentioned before, you know, we eliminated, quote unquote, the, the fluff, the the junkyards. So it really, again, helped us dial in, or at least me with my athletes dial in what works for them really well uh, in that short amount of time to get them where they need to be. Um, and, and so, you know, coming back from that, we really have been trying to do is stay committed to those things that made them better swimmers when they weren't able to swim, the dry land training, the swim cords, um, you know, all of those things. And and I think at the end of the day, once pools did reopen, you know, you had people who dreaded the swim, they dreaded that 20 minute drive and jumping into that cold water, but all of a sudden they were happy about it now. And there's this idea that like, I get to swim, you know, you, what's the saying, you know, you don't realize what you had until it's gone.
0: Exactly. I I, th- I think that your point on the swim bands is is a really important one because I'll never forget when you first joined Purple Patch and you were harping on about uh, swim cords and I said yeah they're important yeah but th- they were just another thing to me and I think you were really the leader of driving this and you know I remember you throughout the the start starting months of the pandemic leading the the live video bike sessions that we did. Uh, bike sessions, sorry, swim court sessions. And your point on technique of these, I think, is really important. So it's a a wonderful tool for muscular resilience. But there there are two elements that I think are important on the technique side. The first, as you said, really hard to focus on good swim technique when you're gasping for air. Also, when you're in this really weird environment, when we swim, 90% of our weight is displaced. So it's almost like you're looking to focus on swim technique while you're floating in space. And that's really challenging. And then the second component that is easy to logically understand but harder to apply is this holding water and and doing acceleration of the swim stroke, starting slow the connection, and then accelerating past the hip. And that becomes more intuitive when you're under an elastic tension like that, where you go, oh, I feel like what it's supposed to be. And then, of course, the the key is applying that into the swim. And so so long-winded way of saying absolutely, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And and you're
1: so right. I mean, we talk so much about that holding water and it's such a hard thing to feel in the water if you're just slipping right through and and, and to have that tension, to have that resistance, you know, in some of the work we did, especially on the the live classes was, you know, those pulls under high tension. And what happens with that high tension is it forces, you know, we call the vertical forearm, that high elbow catch in the front, because it forces you into that position to apply that pressure. And then you start to feel, oh, that's what it feels like to be able to apply that pressure at that point
0: in my stroke Mm -hmm. absolutely agree so a lot of listeners right now are saying super i'm sold love the swim bands when i in the long term i'm going to commit to the swim but goodness me i right now i don't like the swim or i I have a lot of anxiety and i've got this race coming up it's x weeks away x months away and and i'm nervous and so let's talk about fear Let's try and break the mold on this a little bit. And I know it's basic to begin but I think it's worth outlining. Who or or more than that which athletes do you find most commonly face fearing anxiety during the swim?
1: You know, those facing, I think the fear the most are obviously those, the newer swimmers, the adult onset swimmers who just are uncomfortable in the water in general, let alone in an open water environment. Um, so, so if you lack that familiarity, uh, if if you lack that comfort, that, that feeling of being comfortable in a pool, that's definitely going to translate over into open water. Um, and I think it, you can go a step further and say, maybe you're comfortable in the pool. Now that part's great. But you just lack that familiarity with being in open water. You lack those skills. You know, it, it's one thing to hop on a boogie board and go out and swim in the ocean uh, and paddle around, but to put on some goggles and hop in there with a thousand other people thrashing and splashing around, that's a whole other element, and it it scares people quite a bit. So I think lacking that familiarity with open water lacking that familiarity with open water racing uh you know you don't have the skills yet to do it that's a, it's a scary uh, prospect to think about going out there and doing that
0: yeah I, i'm i'm glad that you talked about that because interestingly the you use that i think it's a magic word familiarity familiarity with the the pain associated with it's quite challenging familiarity with the environment familiarity of swimming in amongst several hundred of your closest friends these are all we're really talking about longer term skill acquisition and an experience wisdom of it all, and so I think that look you, you can't control if you what you didn't do when you were a kid and you've learned this this discipline swimming as an adult, so that's fixed. What you can do is commit in the long term to building the necessary physical resilience and fitness, and committing to also building familiarity with the experience. And once you have familiarity, I believe, and then things like anxiety and fear start to dissolve a little bit. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's the great thing about this is it is scary, but it's, it's fixable. It's controllable. Um, you know, we, we fear what we don't know so get to know it. (laughs) It's pretty easy to do uh, in the broad scheme of things. You can acquire those open water skills. You don't even need to be in the open water to acquire those skills. Uh, You can go practice open water swimming and familiarize yourself with that. Um, And you can commit yourself to training to become a better swimmer so that when you are put into those situations, it's not quite so scary.
0: And that, that's, it's, it's a journey to get there. I, I tell you, I've, I've lived this in an alternate reality quite a bit, you know, when we are adopting a new piece of technology or a, or a new app or something, and I don't have any understanding of, of where to start. It's intimidating. But what you realize is, like with anything, once you immerse yourself and you commit to it and you learn, maybe get some help. And then you start to gain experience and suddenly you realize that this incredibly intimidating piece of technology is something that becomes an, an incredible tool and you're, you're under control. So I know the creepy crawlies at the bottom of the sea are not the same as the, <laughs> uh, the little digits on the end of a computer screen, but there we are. So, so let's talk about the common sources of anxiety for athletes that you coach and support so what are, yeah, maybe some of the challenges that amplify that as well
1: yeah absolutely you know i i think one of the biggest sources of fear that people have is this idea of getting in and doing a triathlon with all these other people and that can can range in a, in a various in various different ways from you know just the idea of being kicked in the face from being splashed from being hit from being drowned you know there's that that congestion to you know, all these other people are going to be faster than me. I'm just going to be in the back. That's a scary situation in itself. But, you know, I think that idea of that congestion, uh, being around those people is a scary, scary thing. And, you know, it, especially if you're not super comfortable in the water to have people splashing and splashing and thrashing around you and knowing you have no control over what they're going to do. You can only control yourself, which I think is something we can touch on later. Um, but that congestion on the course is certainly a big fear that people have, uh, you know, to some extent, I think, that may be eliminated a little bit, uh, this year coming out of COVID, you know, and we were seeing that even before, uh, COVID that the roll, you know, rolling starts were becoming more and more popular. The big mass starts had kind of seemed to go away, which is where you see a lot of that, that congestion and people on top of each other. Um, but there are ways to, to deal with that congestion on the course. Um, you know, I I think another thing that scares people is the unknown of the conditions. You know, you don't know what you're going to get until you get there on on race day uh, and it could be windy and therefore choppy and wavy the water could be really cold that's a, something that scares a lot of people you know it's, it's someone from a warm weather climate going to do a uh, cold water race you know if the water temp's 58 60 degrees that's very, very different than a, a non-wetsuit swim in the upper 70s. Um, and that could be a little bit intimidating and vice versa. Someone like myself going from Maine to a warm weather climate and then all of a sudden having to swim in this really warm weather or water rather is uh, you know, a little bit intimidating. Um, speaking along with the conditions, you know, visibility is always a scary thing. If it's, you get that race morning and it's, if it's raining, visibility is decreased. It could be foggy or misty. You know, I think in that case they would probably shorten the swim course. But even if it's shortened, it's still foggy and misty, and you still might have to go swim in that. Um, and, and not even only visibility under the or above the water, but also under the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's people are so used to swimming in a pool where the black line is right there. You know, I may not like it, but it keeps me company and it makes me feel safe. You get in the open water and. You know, it could be one of those things where there's no visibility. You can't see more than three feet in front of your face. That's a scary prospect. What's down there? The creepy crawlies, as you said, uh, could be lurking below or vice versa. I've known some people who go to a venue where... The visibility is 40 feet, and it really kind of freaks them out of this idea of seeing the entire ocean world below them as they're swimming. Um, so you know, those are the types of things that I think I find tend to be uh the most intimidating, you know. Uh or one other thing I might add to that is an unfamiliarity with the course, not knowing what you're getting yourself into, uh, showing up, never seeing it before, new race, maybe you've never been there, and maybe you had to get there late. So this idea of showing up and not Fully understanding what that swim course uh, looks like can be a little intimidating. And, and I will even say my first triathlon I ever did, 70.3, or the first 70.3 I ever did, I showed up to that swim course and it was an out and back swim. And I remember looking down and thinking, wow, those buoys
0: go really, really far.
1: Uh, and you don't kind of realize that until you see it. And when you lay, lay eyes on it, it uh, kind of opens you up a little bit.
0: Oh, it can. i I remember going to do the Alcatraz Triathlon, and you know, bearing in mind, I was a collegiate swimmer, driving up from where I was based in Los Angeles and coming across the Bay Bridge, excited. And I looked down for the first time that I'd been to San Francisco, and I saw Alcatraz saying, so, it's not how far we have to swim is it <laughs> it was intimidating and uh, and yeah. you, know, you could close swim a mile some 2 miles with my eyes closed it was intimidating so it resonates well congratulations you've managed to succeed to get everybody's blood pressure up and so i guess <laughs> you're the man on the hot seat you've got to come up with solutions here so so john big coach john let's break this down we know long term that a part of the solution is a true commitment to swimming but the races are coming up and it's time to get practical and so what say you give us some solutions
1: yeah absolutely so you know obviously we are getting into race season and uh it, it's upon us so I, I think there's certainly some things that you can do to help kind of quell some of those fears bring some of those down and i, I think the most important one is like I said, know the course. And maybe you won't be able to get eyes on it until the day before, but there are course maps out there. I mean, geez, you can get onto Google Maps, Google Earth, and take a look at what that looks like to maybe get an idea of the scale of it. Uh, but study that course map. See where those buoys are. Are, are they going to be on your right? Are they going to be on your left? Uh, which way are you going to have to turn to go around these buoys? Understand uh, how you're going to navigate that course? What is that going to look like? Um, think about those potential obstacles I mentioned with uh, with conditions. What are you going to do if you breathe to the left and the sun is rising on your left and the sun is in your eyes the whole time? What are you going to do if the wind is up and it's choppy? How are you going to handle that? So I think what you need to start doing is understanding that course. What are the possibilities? Um, and then looking to familiarize yourself with what you're going to do in those situations. Um, you know, and Honestly, I think the biggest thing that is helpful with all of those fears and, and to help anxiety for swimming and, and racing across the board um, is a warm-up. If you get there on race morning and that you're all jittery and you're all nervous, getting in into the water, going for a run on the course a little bit, but getting in there with that warm-up and, and going in there with a warm-up plan. Just don't show up and think in your mind, I'm gonna warm up when I get there. Know what your warm-up is gonna be. Um, and you know. Along with that, have a backup plan because your warm-up plan may not be allowed when you show up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I, I, I want to say that you. I'm going to add on a couple of things there, which is uh, the first with warm-up. You said you show up and and you're jittery. That's normal. That's your body priming it for itself. But but obviously, the one thing is get there with plenty of time. So give yourself. There's nothing worse than being really rushed and and scattered. And I think that that warm-up, people say it's always better once the gun goes off. It's actually always better once you start moving. And so having a warm-up, that's really important. And you're priming the body to do what it's supposed to do. Now, I want to ask you a follow-up though. You you say plan B. So we have a very simple and repeatable swim warm-up. And we're going to add that to the show notes so you can head there and have a look at the type of warm up that we prescribe to the purple patch athletes to say, "Hey, this is it. Very easy to scale to adjust a little bit." But you talk about Plan B. What what do you mean by that? Being more specific.
1: Well, it, with that, what I mean is, say,
0: say your Plan A is you show up and you're
1: going to do that very specific swim uh, warm up. But lo and behold, race morning they've closed the course to warm ups. Now you can't get in and warm up. What are you going to do? Um, you know, I, I we. I have a lot of my athletes that will bring their swim bands along as a warm-up. But with that, they've been doing swim bands all along. You know mm-hmm. a, a lot of athletes will will think, well, you know, I, I read on some magazine article that you should do swim bands to warm up for your race. So they, they don't use them. they unwrap them from the package on race morning, and they hook them up and they start wailing away on these swim bands, having never done them before. And then halfway through the swim, Shoulders are completely dead, you know, so that's something you want to practice ahead of time, but have those contingencies Okay, I can't swim I can I can run I can't get in the water. I can use the swim bands Um, Having those uh, in your back pocket is one gonna it's gonna make you feel better Knowing that you have an answer should something come up Uh, But it's also going to be practical in the sense that you're going to be ready to go
0: You you mentioned the run there. That's also a a good tactic to deploy even before the swim is just to get the core temperature up. And even sometimes if it's a very chilly morning, going for a very easy jog to get your core temperature up, even in your wetsuit, so that you can trap that heat is is sometimes a, a really helpful thing for an athlete.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tack on to that a little bit too more because you did mention about being cold and getting in is, is the timing of your warm warmup when you're doing it. Um, you know, if you're somebody that's racing Oceanside or 70.3 Maine, let's say, and water temp is in the low 60s, high 50s, you're not going to want to get in there with your wetsuit 30, 45 minutes or maybe an hour ahead of your swim and then just be standing around soaking wet in a wet wetsuit you're going to get cold really quick and that's going to affect your performance on the swim and probably for the rest of the race. So I think timing of that is also uh, critical. I mean, you don't want to miss your race, but you don't want to be standing around uh, getting cold.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And in fact, I will go one more. I'm going to see your queen and, uh, and go up on that. The, there are Water temperatures, and, and everyone has their own individual temperature. I'm sure yours is incredibly low because you're a hard, tough bastard from Maine. But um, <laughs> and I'm just a soft English guy, so so mine's probably a little higher. Especially as now I live in California. But um, there's a, there's a there's a water temperature where even a swim warm up might not be advisable. Where it's just very very hard to even get core temperature up, and in that situation. I'd be interested in what you think of this, but but obviously getting the body primed, doing a, a, a run or an easy jog, doing some arm circles or or swim bands, etc. And then what I tend to have athletes do is, if it's very cold water, get in, become familiar with that water up to waist or sort of thigh, maybe dunk your head a couple of times just before swim start to get over any of the, oh, <gasps> moment the ice cream headache moment that that and then calmly get in right before swim start. And sometimes that's what you have to do anyway because of the race logistics but in cold water and temperatures that tends to be sometimes a a, a better solution. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's certainly a temperature where you're, you're not going to want to get it and do much more than what you just said, um, just because it's going to be too cold. Or, you know, it, it, it's one of those situations where, like, like you said, overcome the cold headache. That's one of those things with really cold water where there's that shock to your system and shock and you can't, you literally can't put your face in the water. So if you splash, splash some water on your face a little bit in those types of situations really helps. But I think understanding your body, understanding what you're comfortable with, and also having a really good understanding of what the water temp is going to be at that race location and what that means. You know, I I think it's really hard for a lot of people to understand what 56 degrees Fahrenheit means as far as a, you know, a a water temp. Um, So, Understand what it's going to be and what, what that means. And then how, how are you going to react to that type of water?
0: Exactly. Uh, uh, by the way, I'll tell people it, it means it's fricking cold by the way, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I get your point. I do want to come up to one thing that you said earlier, which is to study the course as well. One other tip that I have, wh- when you are swimming, you're, you're, you're not standing up with perspective. You're right down there like a like an alligator or a crocodile. Your eyes are just above the surface. And that makes it even more challenging to navigate. And we know that one of the key components to success is swimming in as straight a line as possible. So a thing that you can do after you've studied the course map, but you actually show up to the race venue, hopefully the day before, is to have a look at the layout of the course and have a look at the landscape around you. And Are you in a lake setting where there's a mountain or a hill behind? And is there a rather large tree that is right in line with the swim buoy line? And that can be a navigation tool. People always get obsessed with with just the buoys and swimming buoy to buoy. But ultimately, you can use the buoy and the landscape behind it. You can also look laterally, look to your left, look to your right, and have at least a compass to follow of, okay, it's about this far out. From the, from the coastline or whatever it might be. And in really foggy conditions, you even have the buoy behind you as well. So there is a little bit of 360 degree sighting from a skill acquisition that can really help people.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you said that about, you know, finding those landmarks on the course, because that's something that one familiarizes you, lets you know where you are within the swim. Uh, let's say, you know, okay, I know when I get to that, those two big pine trees, I'm getting close to that turn buoy but also like you said if the conditions come up in such that you can't see the buoy in front of you the sun is directly in front of your face you have these lateral landmarks to to kind of gauge where you are and what you're doing and and trust me that is much more efficient going off of those than uh going off of your fellow swimmers because they can't if you can't see they can't see
0: that that's exactly it and the vast majority of people that are swimming in your vicinity most of them have about the same, probably, maybe not level of anxiety, but certainly the same level of skill acquisition as you. And so I probably wouldn't put my trust in myself if I was really anxious and not very skilled at sighting. And so don't put it in in the trust of your competitors. Uh, so it, th- this is great. We We sort of focused on race day, you know, getting ready for the race, uh, sighting, course preparation, et cetera. W- what about the listener that is still several weeks out? So they've got a month, they've got six weeks, they've got 10 weeks before their race. Are there? What can they do to help prepare themselves as they ramp up towards the race to help them with open water?
1: Yeah, if you're four, eight, excuse me, 10 weeks out from a race, this is the time to start acquiring those open water specific skills that we talked about earlier. And the great thing about this is you don't need the open water to do it. It's a little bit easier, but you can do these things in the pool and and, and focus on the things that are going to make you that you that you're anxious about. So if you're anxious about swimming in a congested group of people, you know, splashing and thrashing, and maybe you can't get a full breath all the time, Grab a few friends if you can and do what we call close contact swimming. Um, now, again, this may be limited by what you're, what is allowed in your pool. I know my pool only has one person per lane right now. Uh, but when we talk about close contact swimming, get a couple of friends. Line up in the lane, three abreast, all of you swim at the same time. There's going to be contact. You're going to be bumping into each other. But get familiar with that feeling and then figure out how are you going to handle that? How are you going to react to that? Um, you know, uh, uh, other of open water specific skills and i think the most important open water specific skill is sighting and this is the time of you know leading up to a race where you want to start integrating that sighting uh into your workouts and if you're doing it at the pool set up a kickboard at the end of the lane set up a water bottle at the end of the lane and practice not just lifting your head and integrating that sighting movement into your stroke but also actually seeing what you're looking at um and, and Focusing in on that on the end of the, the end of the lane, so mix it into a race-specific type of set. Mix it into some easier swimming just to get the feeling. Uh, but start adding in that sighting of two, three, four times per per lap per twenty-five. Yeah, double that if you're in a fifty-meter pool.
0: And and that's there's some conditioning to that as well. If you think about that, we you just suggested three to four times per twenty-five, and there are a lot of twenty-fives in a uh, the length of a triathlon <laughs> swim. So you are actually lifting your head. You want to integrate it into the breathing rhythm, but there's a conditioning side of that, and and I think that what you mentioned there, which is, don't just lift the head quickly. Actually, see what you're um like. Take the snapshot. The eye is this amazing thing; it will take a really clear picture ahead of it. Make sure you see where you're going, and if you can swim in a straight line, you have a much greater chance of Meeting your trained potential with race day performance, and there are many, many people that improve their best pace per hundred, and yet they end up swimming to Egypt and uh, and end up not seeing any gain. So that's important. What what else from a practical standpoint?
1: You know, excuse me, also from a practical standpoint, too, is I would say, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about is what are you going to do if conditions uh, don't allow you to breathe to a certain side, Uh, sun, wind, whatever it may be, let's say you're uh, a swimmer who only breathes to the left, that could limit you come race day. So this is the time where we want to start learning to breathe to both sides of the body. And, and. when I say that, I don't mean bilateral breathing in the traditional sense. When we as swimmers, you know, growing up whenever we were told bilateral breathe, that meant you're breathing every third stroke, every fifth stroke, mm-hmm. maybe every seventh if there's some sort of punishment involved in that long swim. Um, but breathing every three strokes, sure, you're looking to both sides, but what you're doing is you're, you're starving your body of oxygen, um, especially if you're an adult onset swimmer, slower stroke rate. That's a lot of time in between breaths. Mm-hmm. So what you want to be able to do is be comfortable only breathing to the left side, but you also want to be comfortable only breathing to the right side. Because if the sun is to your left, bilateral breathing every three is only going to help you half the time. So get comfortable breathing to both sides.
0: And, and people will always have one that they fall towards their favorite. But they must have the skill to be able to do both sides. And that little last one minute there, when you talked about bilateral breathing, that that was absolutely terrific. It's, you know, let's crush the myth right now. You do not. You should not bilaterally breathe. In other words, commit to a pattern of every third stroke. But as you say, you should be able to breathe to both sides, and that's a stark difference there. So I think this. Thank you. That's absolutely super.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those, again, like you said, you're not going to be comfortable with the one side, but you want to be able to do it and, and do it in a way where your stroke isn't falling apart. And now is the time to do that because now you might notice I can breathe to my left side, no problem. But when I breathe to my right, all of a sudden my left arm is shooting out to brace my body and it's pulling outside my body and man, my, my shoulder's really hurting breathing to the right. So now's the time to dial that in and see where the deficiencies breathing to that non-comfortable side, to that non-dominant side, um, and and figuring out how you're going to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and while we're talking about specific skills for racing, I, the other thing I would say into that too, is now is a really good time to talk about, you know, integrating pacing and pace changes. Uh, you may have this plan to go out and swim one consistent pace over the entire race, but that may not be what you're presented with all the time you could get stuck behind somebody and you're just getting you know their kick right in your face you need to learn to make that pace change pull aside surge ahead and then settle again so how are you going to be able to pra- or how are you in a race going to be able to surge spike your heart rate and settle again if you haven't practiced that
0: already in the pool well let, let let's spit it out let's imagine someone is going 12 intervals of 100 yards or 100 meters so 12 by 100 What we really talked about there is not just saying, I'm going to go and swim those with 20 seconds rest at an 80% output. Instead, you're going to put in some variance in there. And so I'm making it up on the fly here, but every (laughs) third swim might be at 95% output. And you're like, okay, there you go. There's some variance. And on top of that, all 12 100s, you have to sight three to four times every lap. Goodness me. How challenging is that? That's going to be very challenging when people first do it. They'll have their pace per hundred drop significantly. But as they become familiar with it, and as they acquire the skill to integrate it, and then they will get better. And of course, your funny thing, you should be doing those 100s breathing, sometimes ways to the right, sometimes ways to the left. Wow, now you're starting to actually get skill development to actually be able to put into practice when you are faced with this incredibly crazy dynamic environment that is open water swimming. So um, so I hope that helps listeners. I, I, I want to pin you into a corner a little bit. I want to talk about the really anxious, <laughs> okay, because we, we've we sort of been given some practical tips here, but there are some people that genuinely, and a tremendous empathy for this, this carries a lot of stress. There's very real anxiety facing the swim. So there, there are only tips that you have for those people that it, it's a genuine source of anxiety getting through this swim
1: yeah absolutely and, and let's say you know you you familiarize yourself with the course you've practiced these you know uh, open water specific skills you're ready to go you get out there you panic. And and it's how do you handle that? And how do you deal with it? You know, I think on the one hand, Iron man has been and other companies have been really great about putting out uh, floaties you can grab onto if you're really panicked. Another alternative is to learn a different stroke, backstroke, breaststroke. Let's say you're out there and you're just you're 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 sighting, but you're not seeing uh, you're not able to focus on where you're going. To be able to have that skill to stop and do a couple of breaststroke strokes with your head above water, get a lay of the land, see where you're at, and then return to swimming is incredibly helpful. And the same for backstroke. If you find yourself getting splashed from left, from right, every which way, you're choking on water, to have that ability to flip over onto your back, calm yourself a little bit, get some breaths, and then flip back over and swim again is incredibly helpful. It helps calm your body and it helps kind of reset where you are and what you're doing. You know, you might find yourself just flailing away your tempos up your turnovers up you're not going anywhere doing that helps reset and the other thing you can do with that too speaking of flailing and not going anywhere is, is is you can really kind of focus in on one aspect of technique and and this is kind of a way of kind of instructional self-talk um and and when i say self-talk i don't just mean like you know Stuart smalley the old saturday night live uh skit used to say mm-hmm. you know i'm smart enough i'm good enough and gosh darn it people like me but rather to that to some extent, but also I know what I'm doing out here. I know what I should be doing with this stroke. I'm slipping through the water. Oh, my elbow isn't up on that catch. I'm crossing over underneath. So focus on that aspect. Self talk into what you're doing. Focus on the controllables. You can't control the people, you know, splashing, kicking all over, but you control what your thoughts are. You control what your body's doing and what your stroke is. So if you're able to dial in on those things it helps calm the mind and kind of resets and helps you refocus
0: it, it it does it it puts you back into a place of control and uh and focus which is so important now i'm going to ask about tactics of placing within the field when we get to the race uh tactics side um but uh but i think it's important you talked as well as as um uh, you've talked to me a lot as well about uh, open water swim and open water swim training. Now, you know, I, I uh, have led too many open water swim sessions to uh, to shake a stick at. But just like me, you're you're very very keen on interval based open water swimming, and this is this is something that has always surprised me that such a high percentage of people that are doing open water swimming in their training to get ready for their race, show up to a very calm lake or a nice ocean and just swim out and back or swim across and just swim at steady state. And there isn't any skill acquisition, any familiarity of what's going to come, any variability in the swim. And, and, And it's so important. And so talk to me about open water intervals how you should structure intervals
1: yeah absolutely and and i've even had athletes say oh you know what i'm just going to go try out my new wetsuit so all i'm going to do is swim for 20 minutes and be done well take advantage of that opportunity if you're making the effort to go to this open water swimming location to try out your new wetsuit that's great let's practice sighting while you're doing it which you're going to need to do anyway how is that wetsuit going to feel when you're swimming fast how's it going to feel you know trying to settle into into a rhythm so take advantage of those things and and you know like you said you're not gaining any real skill acquisition by just going and swimming so you know as and we built a lot of open water swim workouts for a lot of athletes this last year with pools being closed so we learned these different ways of integrating those type of intervals into it you know i i think ideally you know you can practice that start of the race that's that nervous part where You got to get in, you got to get moving quickly, settle into a nice rhythm, uh, practice that. How are you going to run from the beach into the water? You know, maybe your goggles fall off and you learn, oh, my goggles are too loose for open water swimming. I got to tighten those up a little bit. Um, You know, I think an ideal situation would be you've got some buoys and you can set up your own little course uh, and you can run intervals between these buoys, Um, you know, adjusting speeds, pace changes, you know, descending intervals, take a pool workout, integrate it into a swim using those buoys. Um, another thing you can do, which is what we do with our swim specific workout at Purple Patch is stroke counting. 30 strokes smooth, 30 strokes hard. 30 strokes smooth, thirty you know 20 strokes very hard. 30 strokes smooth, 10 strokes fast. So use the stroke counting as a, a way to get into that. And, and when I say counting strokes, I mean, right, left, right, left, that's four strokes. You know, it, it's an easy way to uh, mm-hmm. mix things up and keep track of what you're doing. Um, And I know I'm very keen on this next thing, and I know you are too, and that is keeping the watches off of triathletes in the pool. Well, get into open water swimming, and and at least for me with my athletes, this is your permission to use your Garmin watch or whatever brand watch you have in open water swimming. Um, And a lot of the reasons I'll do that is, obviously, it's uh, it's tracking distance, it's tracking time, So you could do timed intervals off of that. You know, I, if you were going to, I wouldn't say go do fifties off your watch because in every other stroke, you're looking down at your hand underwater, trying to figure out where the distance is. Um, But I know a lot of watches have auto laps, whether it's. 100 meters or 500 yards, you could set up a workout built around that auto lap mechanism. Uh, or you could, if you're, you're savvy enough, get in there and pre-program that watch with some preset distances, you know, set your workout up in there and, and get that little vibration to do that. Um, and, and with that, you're acquiring those open water skills. You're doing it. You're also becoming a better swimmer, a fitter swimmer by integrating intervals into this workout because you wouldn't just go swim for 30 minutes in the pool. Why would you think just going and swimming 30 minutes in open water is going to do anything for you? You know, and and like I said earlier, it's a great way to familiarize yourself with that that race experience where the start of the race, also the exit of the race. Don't just finish up your 30 minute, 45 minute open water swim and kind of, you know, hang out shallow water, take your wetsuit off, swim fast into the beach, run up. What does that feel like? You stand up, all of a sudden you're going, you know, from horizontal to vertical blood rushes heart rate goes up get familiar with that feeling a lot of athletes come out of t1 and just you know into t1 and just are wobbly because they haven't experienced that feeling of swimming hard standing up running fast uh so what great opportunity to to practice that
0: well it's exactly what i was going to say where you know you you started the show with familiarity this is the chance if you want to get confident and then build familiarity because you start to go through the experience, you're way more equipped to be calm. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. And we're going to add more inputs, the stress of race day, many more athletes around you, unpredictable environment, etc. But the actual experience of effort and the environment is certainly going to be there. I, I, I want to switch gear the last last small section for us, tactics, a little bit. And, and and feel free as we go through this section, if you, if you want to sort of talk to the more seasoned and confident higher end racer or if you want to talk to the, the more fearful or less comfortable sort of completer type athlete, it, it might be different. I, I don't know. But um, let, let's talk about race tactics. And d- will it help you to, to split up, say, hey, more accomplished and newer?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I I think a more accomplished seasoned veteran, uh, faster swimmer is going to approach the swim start and the swim portion of the race differently than uh, somebody who's obviously coming in with more anxiety and a little bit less comfortable. So, um, you know, why don't we start with the more accomplished swimmers uh, or athletes who are more confident? You've done a handful of races you feel super confident in the pool, you feel super confident in open water, you know, you show up on that line or, or the race morning, you know, wh- what's the approach, right? So, you know, I, I think first and foremost, as we talked about earlier, you're you warm up properly. You come in with your warm-up plan, you execute it, uh, make contingencies if needed, but be ready to go. Uh at the start line, and I think another component of that is, again, as we mentioned earlier, familiarizing yourself with the course, uh, understanding the landmarks, where the buoys are, where the turns are, uh, and, and and reading the course. What are the conditions right now? Uh, where's the sun? Where's the wind? And have an idea going into that which way you're going to be breathing uh, and what you're going to be doing. Um, you know, at, at that point, you line yourself up. And even if you are an experienced or veteran swimmer, you know they might. You know, you and I, Matt, I'm sure would be keen to line up right in the middle of that pack, ready to throw elbows and and throw down with anyone that wanted to make some contact. Uh, but I think other people are still a little weary of that. I mean, no one likes getting hit in the face when you're trying to swim. So think about where you're going to position yourself on the start. Uh, even again, if you are a more experienced swimmer, you might want to put yourself over on the outside. Or again, if you're like us, you know. Where can you put yourself on that start line that is going to get you to that first buoy fastest? What's the straightest line? So understand where you're going to start. Um, you know, and, and as that race gets started, um, you know, I, what you want to do is, is obviously a lot of people are going to be getting in the, the pool or into the ocean or the lake or whatever it is, and there's a lot of anxiety. People are excited. People are going to go out fast. People are going to go out hard. Now we're not going to say, go sprint, sprint, sprint. Find your spot. But instead, you know, I'm going to throw an old swimming term that I heard. Forever growing up, and I know it's a term you use a lot, and that's easy speed. Mm-hmm. So start that race controlled, confident, and strong. Um, you know, that easy speed is going to come. It's early on, you're relaxed, you want to be strong, sustainable, controlled. Don't overdo it, don't kind of blow a gasket right off the go, but get into it feeling strong, feeling confident before you start to settle into that timing, that rhythm. So you really, at that point, you've started you've used that strong start to get there, settle into a nice rhythm, start thinking about your stroke, finding that timing and that connection with what you're doing. Um, And and I can't emphasize it all through all of this, through all of the start, uh, sighting, right off the start, especially, it's pretty easy to get going before, you know, as you're kind of getting used to that swim, to go off into the wrong direction. Uh, It's pretty easy just to put your head down, say, I can see where it is, I'm just going to go for it, because I got to get out there and get set. Uh, but sight, sighting, 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 all through the beginning of this, and then again, settle into your rhythm, find that connection, start thinking about your stroke. Uh, you know, and for this person now, you're moving into the race. You're feeling good. You've made that turn buoy. Now let's start thinking about back that effort. If you're a strong swimmer, uh, a strong athlete, you're someone that's going to be able to up the tempo a little bit, uh, up the effort a little bit, and, and get going. And you know, one of those things too that we see a lot of is, is drafting. And if, if you're good at it and you know what you're doing, it can be beneficial. But I would leave that really just for kind of more kind of elite swimmers uh, that are doing it. Because as we mentioned earlier, you could get on the feet of somebody and be like, yeah, I'm drafting. They're taking me so fast, but they're taking you to Africa. Uh, you know, <laughs> I had a good friend at a 70.3 race here in Maine. And for the sake of this story, I'll just go ahead and call him Matt Hurley, uh, who... Went into a seventy point three race, and Matt's an unbelievably strong swimmer. Uh, and you know, he found somebody that was willing to challenge him at the start of this race. And his thought was, "Well, hey, if this guy wants to go out, I'm going to let him go out, and I'm going to tuck in on his hip, and I'm going to go right with him." Uh, the problem was, this course was set up for a seventy point three large rectangle, and it was also set up for a Olympic distance small rectangle. And the person that he was drafting off of took the turn buoy for the Olympic distance. Well, after about two minutes swimming the wrong way, a kayak finally caught up to them and shifted them in the right direction. Uh, But needless to say, there was some time lost on that. So drafting, leave that maybe to a little bit more elite. But if you are able to find someone to take, you know, kind of tuck in behind, that can be beneficial. But again, this is for the more experienced, uh, accomplished athletes and swimmers out there.
0: I'm rubbing my hands with glee because my silent phone buzzed in front of me while we were recording this, and it was Matt Hurley calling me. and I haven't <laughs> spoken to him for a long while, but now I get a story of abuse to deliver his way. So uh, very much looking forward. Thank you for the story, John, but it's exactly
1: true. Oh, of course.
0: Okay, new, new last section. Newer, anxious athlete arrived, sitting, ready to get going. What do they do?
1: <laughs> well, I you know, there's some a lot of what we just talked about is certainly applicable uh to the more anxious athlete. And and some of it is a little bit more important. But I think again, as we talked about, knowing the course, knowing the conditions, especially for someone who's really nervous, I think having a better understanding of that is going to help calm those nerves. It's gonna make them feel a little bit more comfortable going up into it. Um, again, the warm-up, warm up properly, be ready to go. Uh, you don't want to Jump in there to that shock of not swimming, and, and for anyone that's you know maybe you haven't swum in open water for a while, uh, you know even just a short warm up is going to remind your shoulders of what it's like to swim without a wall every twenty five yards or twenty five meters. Uh, so make sure you're warmed up and ready. You know, and, and and with that, much like with the accomplished athlete, line up accordingly. You probably don't want to be in the middle of the fray where everybody's slashing and thrashing. So maybe you're. It's okay for you to lose. Thirty seconds a minute by starting a little bit further outside, maybe not the straight, straightest course. Um, and, and with that, you know sometimes the straightest course isn't the fastest course because of all the congestion and everyone splashing around. Uh, so maybe keep yourself out of the middle, off to the side. Now with the start, you may not want to fall into that same easy speed, that really strong effort as you're going out, but rather just relax the beginning. You know, th- there's no reason to just spike your heart rate right off the the, the go. That's only going to make the anxiety a little bit worse because you're all of a sudden going to panic and think, oh, wow, I'm dead. I've only gone, you know, 20 strokes and I'm, I'm, my heart rate's through the roof. What am I going to do? Uh, start out relaxed, build into it um, and, and go in there with that type of, uh, of confidence. Just like with The accomplished swimmers sight sight sight. Make sure you know where you're going, who's around you, see where that buoy is, and 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 find the best line for you. Maybe it's not the fastest, but it's the best for you because it may avoid a certain pack or someone else. But sight 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 on that, and then you know swim comfortably. Focus, control the controllables as we we talked about earlier. uh, You know with with the self talk and focus on your sighting. Fall into a rhythm. Maybe it's it's every fourth stroke you sight and fall into that rhythm and try to find that that helps kind of apply a little bit of focus to what you're doing uh it helps settle things a little bit it helps make you feel a little bit comfortable again if you need to take those breaststroke strokes flip over on your back take that backstroke stroke um and going into that too you know with that have that plan so have you know if 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 I get kicked in the face, if I get splashed, if I really start to panic and freak out because I can't see my hand underwater because it's so murky, what am I going to do if that happens? Am I going to take those different strokes? Am I going to focus on form? What what part of that form am I going to focus on? It, it's a great, it's easy to say, focus on form. And we did this with swimming. There's a lot of form you could focus on. Choose just one aspect that is going to be your go-to. That's your Q word, you know, high elbow. Uh, finish all the way through, you know, accelerate whatever it is um but have those 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 tools in your bag so that you can use them should things kind of go awry um and and i think at the end of the day it's just about understanding that you can't control those around you or what anyone else is doing uh only yourself so control the controllables and don't worry about what everyone else out there is doing
0: perfect could couldn't have said it better and uh and as a reminder in case it didn't come through folks listening site 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 so um my last uh, my last uh, couple of points just for folks is that i would encourage you if it is your first race or your first race back that two things firstly remember or realize that your swim time coming out of the water provides you with no valuable information when you are in the race. Courses can be long, courses can be short. And so getting out and doing the natural instinct of looking at what was my split, don't let that determine the rest of your race from a mindset standpoint, from a tactical standpoint. And secondly, whatever happens in your first race or first race back, mistakes are going to happen. And The goal is to learn from those mistakes, build on them. What were the parts that were tough? What were the parts that you found easier than anticipated? And then work through them and work on them so that you can continue on the journey of becoming a better athlete. And finally, shift your lens on swimming long term. I think it's become clear, John, the uh, the word commitment is uh, of high value to the swimming journey. And I would say, look, if you get the opportunity as much as you possibly can, train with others because sharing the journey and surrounding yourself with others in the swimming journey, I think is critically important. So John, any last words of encouragement outside of the old, don't F it up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, don't F it up. And you know, We've been through a lot this last year, but think about the positives. What were you able to control? And remember, maybe you weren't able to get in the pool as much as you wanted to. Maybe you didn't get in those open water swims ahead of time, but hopefully you did the things you could do. You did the dry land work. You did the swim bands. Um, Maybe you didn't, but you know what? Maybe you hit the bike and the run extra hard. So the fitness is there. So at the end of the day, try not to panic, control what you can control and have fun.
0: Have fun. There's no better way of ending it. So John, that was a journey. We went on one, but uh, thank you so much. Incredibly helpful. Great to hear your your perspective and your expertise. And I I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really like being here.
0: (laughs) All right. Good man. We'll see you out there. Take care. thanks so much for listening this has been the purple patch podcast if you like what you hear would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to apple Podcasts to subscribe rate and review the show the apple podcast link is in the show notes your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time staff people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive don't forget You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers.